Well, we are in a series called When the World Turned Upside Down, and we are looking at the book of Acts in the New Testament. Um, Now, the book of Acts is really interesting because it outlines the history of the early church. And what we're doing as we walk through this book is we're discovering what happens when a group of people allow the power of God's presence, his Holy Spirit, to move through them, to move among them. And that's really what the book of Acts is all about. There's this group of people and Jesus makes a promise to them. And he says, I'm going to give you my spirit and you're going to have power. And then he actually fulfills that promise. And what we're getting to see happen is the outcome of that. What happens when these people become animated by the spirit of God, when their lives become full of of his power and what he's doing, we start to see what happens when people begin to live out God's purposes and and they begin to transform their lives according to what he is now revealing to them. And so we also get to see the church birthed in this. We see um, it explode to life. We see things happening in cities and we, we see culture beginning to shift. That's why we've named this series, What We Have. We see the world flipping upside down in this. And the reason that we're doing this, the reason we're walking through this series is that this is what our desire is for us. That that as a church, as much power as we have over this sort of thing, that we would embrace this empowering presence of God, that we would see God moving in our midst, that we would see lives animated by the Spirit, that we would see ourselves living out His purposes. That's why we're doing this. So this book, what it does for us is it creates a template that we can follow. It creates examples that we can look at. It shows us what we can be and who we can become as a church. Now, one of the things that's interesting in this series is that throughout it, we're seeing all sorts of different characters. We're seeing all sorts of different people in these different walks of life, and they have all kinds of different perspectives on what's going on. But these aren't just simple characters in history. These aren't random people. And they're, they're certainly real people, um, but they actually represent something. These individuals represent something in the roles that they're playing. These very real people show us specific responses that people have then, but also the responses that they have today. Um, these individuals represent roles that people will play throughout the centuries as this message of Jesus goes into cultures and is spread. There are all of these different ways people respond, but these are the first. They're showing us what it looks like later. So, so what I'm trying to say, what I'm getting at is that these people and the part they play, they show us what's happening as God is moving and they show us what happens in a time like now. How do people respond in this time, in this place, in this culture? And essentially what we see is that the same kind of response happens today that happened back then when God is moving. The same kinds of people exist today. The same kinds of activities take place today, which has massive implications for us. What that means is that we're not just gathering a few insights. We're not just looking at some historical data, maybe getting some new information and being inspired for a moment. We're actually looking at the book of Acts and we're asking ourselves, what role do I play in turning this world upside down? If the world is being flipped right side up, as you will today, what part am I playing? Who am I in this story? What character most resembles me? And and what what am I most like now in this time? How am I responding to the circumstances around me? That's when this whole thing comes to life. When you and I begin to wrestle with those kinds of questions, we begin to wonder, like, where do I fit and what does this look like? That's when this comes to life, when this story becomes my story. That's when we experience this life the way it was intended to be, this life that Jesus offered us. That's when we begin to have our lives 
animated by the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to today's text. This is going to be so good today. And it also could be really challenging for some of you today. But if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 3. We're going to walk through the text. We're actually going to be looking at most of chapter 3 and a big chunk of chapter 4 today. Uh, We're going to unpack it together, and then we'll start talking about the implications when we're done with this. So as we start reading, I just want to remind you that um, this falls on the formation of the first church. Last week, Pastor Alex brought us through Acts chapter 2. He showed us how the church was being gathered, the, the characteristics of this new community of faith that was burgeoning in those days. And now we're getting to read what happens next, beginning in chapter 3. So just follow with me in this. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, let me just explain. This would have been a normal daily practice for this man and his friends or family, whoever brought him there. This was a normal thing. He'd go to the gate and there he would wait for people who were going up to the temple to worship and, and he would ask them for money. That was how this man survived. It was sort of the, the, the safety net for individuals like this. Let's keep reading. Verse three. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, I love this for so many reasons. Obviously, the the reality that this man is healed. I love his response. I love love what's going on in all of this. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But I also love that Peter gives this man dignity, this moment when he stops and he says, look at me in the eyes. There's a a moment where I'm not going to let you just be a beggar by the gate. I want you to see me and I want to see you. There's this beautiful thing where he dignifies this man in this moment. Um, so, so that's beautiful. But then he's healed. He goes into the temple. He's leaping. He's praising God. He's celebrating. And then we read this in verse nine. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. So I just want you to get this. These people, this crowd, they're in the temple. They're filled with wonder and amazement. Remember, they've come to this place to worship God. But but just remember that they're worshiping God more out of duty, more out of like religious obligation than believing that this is a God who can actually move. They're just sort of hoping they're doing the right things. And while they're doing this religious obligation, here in walks this individual. They've walked past a thousand times. Like they've seen him over and over again. They've seen this guy and suddenly he's dancing. He's celebrating. He's praising God. He's not outside the temple. He's inside the temple. He's not on the ground begging. He's on his feet and he's dancing. There's this beautiful moment here. And these people, they're astonished, right? They just, they don't even know what to do with this. That's what the scripture says. They are utterly astonished. So they run to this one part of the temple court, this place called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico. And they're all gathered around Peter and John and Peter begins to speak to them. He begins to tell these people about Jesus. Like, you've come here to worship God. 
but now you've seen what you've been looking for in God. Let me tell you how this happened. They, he starts to explain and connect the dots for them about Jesus. But then while he's speaking, and I'm, I'm not going to get into Peter's sermon. You can read it sometime. While he's speaking, if you move to chapter four, it says this in verse one. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to 5,000. So, so get this. While they're preaching, they get arrested. While they're standing there telling people about Jesus, they get arrested. Now, this is an interesting side note. I just want to share this. I know people are frustrated right now during this pandemic, but let me just tell you, the church is not under persecution like this. No one is seeking to arrest me for preaching Jesus these days. But even if I were, I just want you to catch something. I want you to see something that happens in adversity. These guys get arrested, total persecution, not allowed to preach about Jesus. They get arrested. And the very next verse says that 5,000 people join the Jesus movement. This is absolutely insane when you think about this. They're watching these guys get arrested. They're watching them be carted off to jail. They're seeing how the establishment treats individuals like this. And then they go, I think I want to be a part of that. I mean, 5,000 people. You talk about something that was compelling. I've seen people join a movement before, but never like this. I've seen people join parties. I've seen people jump into dance circles at weddings. I've seen people join fads. I've seen them jump on a stock tip. I've seen people who sit in lines to get Chick-fil-A or in and out. I've seen people jump into all sorts of things, but rarely, rarely have I ever seen people jump into something when those who are inviting you to participate with them are being carted off to prison. The only time I ever see that is when whatever is happening is true and real and meaningful. There's something deep going on, like when the world is being turned upside down. So they get arrested, and then this is what we read next. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become now the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter, he preaches to his accusers. And then verse 13, check this out. They begin to respond. And I love this. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love this particular verse, um, quite honestly, because I take it personally. I, these guys see how bold these men are. They see how articulate they are. They see how 
well they form their arguments. And at the same time, they recognize they're uneducated and common. It's this conundrum. How could this be? And the only explanation for them is that these men have been with Jesus. Uh, I, I genuinely hope that when people interact with me or they interact with you, that what people walk away saying is, now it doesn't really make sense. There's something strange there. The only explanation is that that person could have been with Jesus. That's a powerful statement, right? Then we read this, verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they'd commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I just want you to understand how insane this is. They can't deny. These individuals that are accusing Peter and John, they go, listen, we can't deny what we've seen here. Like, there's no explaining this away. This is real. We all agree with this, right? I mean, they're, they're in, a, in a room talking about this together. Like, we can't argue this. And everybody knows, right? But, but we can't let this get out. Why? Why can't we let this get out? Because this will mess with our way of life because this will disrupt my comfort. Like we can't let this get out. We got to keep this thing contained. We can't deny it, but, but we might lose something in this. There might be a shift in the power structures of our culture if we let this get out. Because I'm not in control of the outcomes, we can't let this get out. And so we read this. Verse 21 says, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. So I want us to go back to what I mentioned earlier now. These aren't just characters in some historical drama. These are representatives of the various responses that people have to the true message of Jesus being lived out in every time, in every century, in every culture, everywhere. When the message of Jesus, when his grace is going out, there are specific responses and these people represent those responses. Now, there are all sorts of characters that we see here, but primarily there are three significant roles that people play or three responses that people have. And so for the remaining couple of minutes, what I want to do is talk about these roles, and then I want to talk about where we fit in them. Like, which one are you? So let me, let me give them to you first. We have these three specific roles. First, we have the disrupted, then we have the disruptors, and then finally we see the disturbed. So it's the disrupted, the distu- disruptors, and then the disturbed. Let me just start with this first one, those that are disrupted. Um, and let me just begin by describing what I mean about the disrupted. Who are the disrupted in this? Well, um, believe it or not, first of all, this is a positive position. If you want to think about one of the roles you want to be in in this story, it's okay to be one of the disrupted. Uh, when I use this phrase, what I'm describing are those people who are being shaken out of the status quo. Um, these are the ones that are kind of waking up from their slumber. They're starting to see new things. They're the ones that their life is being interrupted, but it's being interrupted in a good way, if you know what I mean. Um, There's a disruption that's happening and they're leaning in to whatever God might be doing in this moment. They know this might change things for me, but I'm willing to let it do that. That's who this is. By the way, the reality is, and I think you probably already know this, 
The reality is, is that God will allow and even bring disruption into our lives, right? This, this stuff happens. So let's look at this story. There are a lot of people who fall into this category of being disrupted. For instance, the 5,000 people who in the face of arrest make the decision to join the way of Jesus, those are 5,000 people who are among the disrupted, right? They've seen something and they just say, my life is different because of this. Something has to be different because of this. They had a way of life. They had a way of doing things. And now they're allowing that to be changed because of what's happening in front of them. So they're disrupted. But the chief example of the disrupted is actually the man who gets healed. Um, see, he, he had his routine. We already read about it. Every day, a few of his friends would bring him to the gate and he would beg for money and he would be given money and he would go home. And that's how he was provided for. Every day he'd sit and every day he would get what he needed. In fact, there are some scholars who believe that this guy was actually fairly well provided for. Like all things considered, he didn't have that bad of a life considering his circumstance. In fact, this is also really interesting. If you read verse 22, you discover that he's over 40 years old. We didn't get to that verse, but the next verse says he was over 40, which means for four decades, this is all the life this man has ever known. He goes to the temple, he begs for alms, he gets what he needs and he goes home. But then there's this moment where he asks for what he wants, but he gets what he really needs. I think this is interesting for us to think about. He thinks silver and gold is the answer. You could fill that in with any other sort of blanks. But what he gets is this life-altering disruption. God moves, and suddenly he's on his feet, and then he's in the temple, and he's praising God. Even though, and you need to catch this, even though this guy has no idea what he's going to do next. He doesn't have a skill. He doesn't have a trade. He doesn't have a savings to fall back on. Uh, all he knows is God has just moved and he begins praising God because of this. So, so the, fir the first sign that you're among the disrupted, that group of people who are leaning into what God is doing, the, the first sign is that, is that the, there's things happening in your life that can only be attributed to him. Like there's stuff taking place and I'm not in control of it. Like you're allowing God to move in ways and there are things taking place that you can't take credit for. And when you can't take credit for those things, your only choice is to say, I see God moving. This guy, he ran into the temple. I think one of the problems we face is that we think we know what we need. We think, well, it, it's silver and gold. We're, we're so focused on what we want that we won't look God in the eye when he says, look at me. I want, I want you to see me and I want to see you. And so we don't realize what he's doing. We don't realize that every day we get up and we're no different than this man. We go to, we grab our mat, we claim our spot. We go to this routine that we carry out every single day, not even realizing there is a healing that's waiting for us. There's something God wants to do through us, not realizing we could dance, not just sit here, not realizing that God could move outside of our expectations. So, so this first role that we see, this first part that we see being played is this person who says, as the message of Jesus tears through the normalcy of their life, and challenges the establishment, the first one is the one that says, I am willing to have my life messed with, knowing that there's something good on the other side. So are you letting God mess with you enough that you have reason to praise him? Is there enough stuff going on in your life that you can look at and say, you know, that's God, not me. Is God working in you? Now, that leads to that second thing I mentioned. So we have the ones that are being disrupted. Then we have those that are the disruptors. 
And I think it's pretty clear who these people are. These are the men uh, and, the, and the women that God uses to shake up the world, to mix things up, to deliver his kingdom. The prime example in this particular story is Peter. And it's perfect just to see what happens here. This is, this is so good to see exactly what it looks like to be the disruptor. I love that Peter does not shy away from doing God's work because of what he doesn't have. Um, it's like he says, I'd love to have silver and gold, right? I'd love to have silver, gold. I'd love to have enough money to solve your problem, to give you what you need. For that matter, I mean, let me just say on, on behalf of myself, I'd love to have enough money to solve poverty in general. I'd love to solve every problem. I'd love to be able to do that. But Peter looks at this guy and he says, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give you. And what Peter gives this man is so simple that it's almost comical. Um, he simply gives himself to be used by God. Peter is simply a conduit. He's like a delivery system for the love and the healing and the power of God. That's it. That's all that Peter does when he says, I'll give you what I have. Well, actually, he's just making himself available in this. And that's what it means to be a disruptor. If you're making yourself available for God to use you, for his spirit to move through you, however he sees fit, that's what it means. We see that again with Peter later in the text when he speaks and, and people's lives are being changed or when he speaks to the powers that be and challenges them. It's not because Peter's the best communicator. It's not because he's naturally given to being bold. We already know that because of his story earlier on. It's because literally the text says this, he was bold because he was filled with the spirit. Again, he makes himself available. He just says, I, I'm just here. And then God works through him. The disruptors, the disruptors are the people that bring real change and they make a tangible difference. They don't make excuses for what they don't have or what they can't do. They just simply make themselves available in spite of those things. They just say, God, I want to be used by you. And let me just tell you this, that a radical, loving, gracious, serving, sacrificial group of people who are living lives that are animated by the Spirit of God, they are going to cause a beautiful disruption in the world. If you're one of those people, you will be a breath of fresh air to your neighbors and to your coworkers and your family. Um, it's such an anomaly in this jaded and judgmental world that crowds will rush in like they did in this story. They will rush in to hear and to see. So, so we see two things so far. We see God is either working in you or God is working through you, right? That's the two postures. If you're being disrupted, then God's working in you. If you're one of the disruptors, then God is working through you. But then there's this third option. And let me just warn you, these first two, you want to be one of those. Um, this last one, this is not where you want to land. The third one, the disturbed. Now, let me just say this. Um, the difference between those among the disturbed and those among the disrupted is not the stimulus. It's actually the same thing happening in the circumstances. It's the response they have. If you look at the story, that the event is the same. The response is what distinguishes them. Being disturbed, by the way, just think about this. It comes with this connotation of being annoyed. It's like being put out, being bothered. It's why uh, maybe you flip your phone onto do not disturb. It's some way of saying, I just don't want to be bothered right now. Don't annoy me, right? In fact, we see this in the story. 
In, in verse one again of chapter four, it says, as they were speaking, Peter was speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And verse two says, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They were greatly annoyed. Like we, we've got a common man being used by God. We've got a man who, um, we've got a man who hasn't walked for 40 years dancing we got 5,000 people encountering the grace of Jesus. And we've got some people who are greatly annoyed. Like, it's unbelievable when you think about this. Now, it's also not a surprise as to why these individuals are annoyed. Or, or it's not a surprise that they're even irritated. Among the cultural elites, among the religious establishment, of course they would be frustrated. It's no surprise because most often the people who are most likely to be disturbed are the ones who are most comfortable with the way things are right now, right? I'm not saying that these individuals didn't want to see God work. I'm just simply saying that, that they had a way they thought it should be when God's work, especially if the way God worked threatened their life, if it threatened their comfort. I think I've made this clear so far in this series, but I want to say it again, and we'll see it throughout this series, that the gospel of Jesus, it flips the systems of this world upside down. The gospel changes the status quo. The gospel confronts injustice and manipulation and corruption. That's what it does. And, and by the way, um, seldom do those who are benefiting from those unjust systems, those manipulations, seldom do they see their participation in it. it let me say it this way. If your life is good, if you're getting things your way, you are far less likely to recognize your participation in injustice. I, I don't mean to meddle in this, but, but this is why. Just one example. You and I can buy disposable clothing at the expense of childhood sweatshop labor in Southeast Asia and never bat an eye because we're the ones on the winning end of the power dynamic so hard for us to see when it's this way. When this miracle happens, and it's common men who make it happen, it isn't theologically trained or ordained men. When the crowd starts going to them and, and not us, that threats, it's a threat to our way of life. That's a threat to our comfort. And so we get annoyed and we become disturbed. So this narrative it leaves us with some fairly clear, but also fairly narrow options, which has us now asking this question, who are you in the story? Is God working in you? Is God working through you? Or are you simply annoyed right now? I mean, th those are good questions for us to ask all the time. I mean, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's the politics in our nation, whether it's all the things happening on the social medias, if you will, if it's the stuff going on in your church, is God working in you or is God working through you or are you just simply annoyed? I'm going to close by challenging you with something that Jesus said. He was, he was having a conversation with those that were learning about his new way and he, he talked about there being new wine and the need for new wineskins to hold new wine the whole thing that Jesus was describing was this reality that he was going to do a new thing and that in the kingdom of God, he moves through new works. I truly believe that Jesus is doing a new thing in our culture, in our world, in our church, 
And my hope is that we would be a part of this new thing that God is doing together. So for the next couple of minutes, here's what I want you to do. We're gonna, we're gonna have a song of worship and I want you to reflect. I want you to let this sink in. I want you to think through which of these postures do you have in your life? Are you, are you having your life disrupted, but you're leaning in and saying, God, show me something? Or is God using you maybe on Wednesdays or Fridays to do something powerful in others' lives? Or are you just disturbed and frustrated and angry trying to protect something that doesn't need to be protected?
So now, may you be men and women who are open to being disrupted by God now and for the rest of your lives. And may you be a part of the disruption. May you be the disruptors. May you be a conduit for whatever God is going to do in other people's lives. And may you, with all of your strength and the power of God's Spirit, resist ever being among the disturbed. In Jesus' name, amen.